I could turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Kiddos, you are dismissed. Good job. Y'all know you're, you know you're real. You will not forget. Daniel 3. We're getting to the, some of the crazy uh, stories, certainly the more familiar stories in the book of Daniel. And as we approach this one, I want to ask you if you've ever thought about it. If you've ever wondered and hoped and just wished that the people around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors, if they, if they just, if they would just see what a difference being a Christian makes. You ever thought that? Man, I wish people would just get it. I wish people would just see what a difference it means, what difference it is in our life following Christ. Like if they could just see how following the Lord changes everything about how we handle this crazy life. And it's a good prayer. It's a good thought, but it's also kind of one of those that you should sort of pray with caution. Like, uh, you know, you ever prayed for patience and then kind of regretted that you prayed for patience because praying for patience is actually asking for an opportunity to be patient and That's usually not fun for those of us that need patience, and so you kind of get where I'm going. So when we say, man, I wish people would see the beauty of following Jesus, I wish people would would get it, what we're we're actually asking for an opportunity to display it. And so as we come to this point in, in the book of Daniel, this book, it's a pretty small book, 12 chapters, there's a lot happening in it, but it actually spans 70 years or so. And so you think about it, there's not 70 years worth of stuff, in, there's not 70 years worth of history in, that, in this small book of Daniel, right? So what does that tell us? It tells us that while there's some crazy stories that we're going to look at one of them today, and, and there's some others that you're rec- you'll recognize and know and that have been told throughout Christian history and, and for, you know, for generations now, and have shaped the, the coming generations of Christians, while there's a lot of those, there, it also means there was a lot of kind of quote-unquote ordinary times, like non recordable moments. Like, yeah, they're still in exile. Like life is still kind of, you know, not, not awesome, not what they wanted it to be, but not every moment in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life was, was, was these crazy, you know, put it all out there moments that we know of. And so, but it is in the, it, it, sometimes it takes these moments for God to, to really accomplish his purposes and show up and show out in such a way that the rest of the world takes notice. And that's sort of what we're going to see today. It's, it's kind of like uh, someone has said that's, that's why God doles out uh, and sends cancer to both believers and unbelievers so that the world can see how believers handle it, right? So that they can see the, the, the difference in the hope that we have. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But so they can see the hope that we have in our God. And so... I would propose to you, as we are all a bit anxious, if we're honest, about the direction of our world. Anybody else? You know? Um, and, and to varying degrees, I get it, based off of how much news you watch, and which, you know, I, I get that, and how much you follow, you know, different parts of our culture. But nonetheless, I think we can all go like, yeah, man, this seems, this, this, this could, be, I could get concerned, right? And so instead of that leading to fear, let me, let me propose to you that this could just indeed be an opportunity for the Lord to show up and show out with his church. That this could be an opportunity that God is, is indeed about to display for the world why it is good to follow him. And he might be using you and I and his people all across the world to display such a thing. So let's look at Daniel chapter 3 
uh, this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ending up in the fiery furnace. We're going to we're going to read it together. Uh, we're just going to read it and preach it as we, as we go. It's, it's, uh, we're going to start in verse 8 and finish, uh, go through the rest of the chapter. It's a common story, uh, so you likely know it. But just for quick context, if you don't know, the, these guys are Jewish people. That means they're God's people. They have committed to following God, not to worshiping any, any other God. And they have so far been faithful in a, in a country and in a city called Babylon. That means they have been taken as exiles, as prisoners of war uh, in, in, in many ways kind of human trafficked out of their home when they were teenagers into this foreign land of of Babylon where this man named Nebuchadnezzar ruled. And he was the ruler of that day, ruled the the, the Babylonian empire, which was the the powerhouse empire of that day. And he ruled with a tyrannical uh, and sometimes chaotic rule. And they were brought in to advance his kingdom and have his agenda. They were re- um, indoctrinated to, you know, be shaped by this worldview and, and by his worldview, and yet they have remained faithful thus far. And so we are several years in. We saw the, the previous time whenever the king, you know, had the dream and was about to kill all of the, the wise men of which these guys would fall into that category. Um, and, you know, God rescues them by giving Daniel the dream. We saw that in chapter two. We're now about 17 to 20 years later um, and this, this King Nebuchadnezzar has, instead of heeding God's warning that, hey, you're here for a season, buddy, and, I, and this is, you know, it's kind of my paraphrase of what God said to Nebuchadnezzar in the dream. You're here for a season, and the power that you have, I gave to you, and there's going to come others after you. Uh, basically, your rule is temporal, and there will be a kingdom come that will knock down all of these earthly kingdoms, and it will reign forever. Um, and that, that, was the message from God to Nebuchadnezzar. Instead of heeding that, this guy goes right ahead and builds this giant statue, presumably of himself, and is now called everybody together. And by everybody, I mean like all the representatives. You, you think about this, this Babylonian empire, they've conquered many nations and many other people groups. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar calls all of these people together. And you saw already, we're gonna see them listed again, but you see, uh, this list of people and these government officials, these representatives from these different people groups, it lists them over and over and over again for effect, that we would take note that this is, a, this is, this is a, 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 an attempt at global unity while uh, surrounded or, or rather united around the worship of a false god, a false statue that this guy has made. And he's commanding that everybody worships. When the music starts, you bow down at this Throne. And so this is what this guy's done. He's built a 90-foot statue, and he, it's all of gold. And he's now called everybody together in this ceremonious thing, and he's saying, hey, we got a band, and it's an awesome band, and they list all of the, the, uh, the instruments, and when it plays, everybody bows and worships this statue. And if you don't, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. That's the context Chapter or, uh, verses one through seven sets that up. And then we meet in verse eight. And it says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, if you remember from the previous story, these Chaldeans, these are the guys that, that actually were rescued from their execution a few years before by Daniel and his God. So if you know that story, Daniel and his God show up and, and keep these guys from being slaughtered. And now what are they doing? They're actually maliciously accusing the Jews. Now, this is a curious 
thing, if you're honest. Why are they coming at the Jews? Why are they, and there, there's some angles. These, these guys got promoted and, you know, and they're, they're probably a little salty about the, you know, the, the Jewish guys getting promoted into the, the Babylonian, you know, ranks. But nonetheless, like, hey, you know, you saved our life. And, and so to have this kind of angle, they're going to accuse him and they're going to eventually, the, the, what they're, they're going to do is to show the king, hey, hey, these guys didn't bow down and they're going to get them, you know, thrown in the furnace. So what's going on there? We, we need to remember and we need to often think and, and try to apply the truth that we are not at war against flesh and blood, but we are indeed at war. Okay? We know that, we say that, we amen that. We need to sit in that, think about that, and apply that to our life because what we're seeing here is it's really curious alliances that don't make any political sense on paper. And nonetheless, they're aligning to come against the Jewish people, God's people. So here's the deal. We have an enemy and he hates us and he hates God and he wants God's glory. He got himself kicked out of heaven. If you know the story of, uh, and we're gonna look at this a little bit more later in Daniel, that Satan got himself kicked out of heaven because he wanted what God had and that is the glory that only God can that only God can hold. And, and so this is our enemy. And he now leads a charge against God and his people. And he is counterfeiting everything good that God has made. So we saw that Babylon actually started way back in Genesis 11. This, this warrior king named Nimrod decides, hey, there's this incredible plane. We're going to get together. We're going to build this tower Right, this incredible tower that will do what? Make a name for ourselves that will display the, the power, the ability of the human people. And God says, man, they're all united in, in, uh, in this purpose and in their language. And they're certainly not trying to glorify me. They're trying to glorify themselves. That will lead to evil unbridled. And so God comes down and confuses their languages and scatters them abroad. And thus the Tower of Babel is thwarted. But the spirit of Babel, the spirit of Babylon, if you will, carries on. And that becomes this, this spiritual force that, that plays out certainly here in Babylon, but is honestly still at play even in our day and age. When, you, when We talked about this a few weeks ago, when you start to wonder, how could this be so evil, right? How could this you know, abortion industry be so blazing against life? And, and how could this thing and this group of people get to this place? Well, it's the spirit of Babylon, right? The spirit of Babylon is still at work and is still fueling this, this uh, war, this raging war against God and therefore against God's people. And so you and I have an enemy and we will get attacked. Listen, I am not one to sound the horns and, and to cause people. We, we don't need to fight as though our our battle is against flesh and blood and, and fight some culture wars that we're not called to. However, you can see this beginning to play out in increasing measures in our day and age. So if you saw the tragic shooting that the young man did, um, I, I think in Georgia, I I've, I've, should have done more research to, to catch, but, but you know the, the story in the headline and, and, and it was a tragic shooting and, and it was purely evil. But what's been one of the main headlines? That that guy went to a church at some point, and that that church, frankly, it sounds like they taught the Bible. I don't know them, but, and so people are saying, oh, see, it's Christians. It's Christianity. It's this conservative view of Christianity that, that says, you know, marriage should be this way and gender should be this way, and, and so they, they, they've, they picked that out as the reason and the thing to point out and the thing to tear down, and you're going to see that continue to play out over and over again. Now, again, stay with me here, because these guys are going to give us a template. These guys are going to show us how we respond in those moments. 
okay? Because it's not how you might want to. It's not to circle the wagons and, and, you know, fight the culture war. Instead, it is a different response. But we are seeing the spirit of Babylon at work, and it seems as though it could be gaining some traction. However, that doesn't mean God's losing. That doesn't mean God's on his heels. It doesn't mean God is, is taking fire that he can't handle. In fact, it may mean that God is setting up an opportunity, as I said earlier, to show off his glory. And that's exactly what we're going to see here. So these guys get accused. So I want you to imagine that some historians estimate there was around 300,000 people gathered here at this ceremony for this thing. And he says, everybody has to bow. When the music plays, everybody has to bow. And if you don't, you're going to end up in the fiery furnace. I want you to imagine the music plays and 300,000 people. I want you to just imagine that sight. 300,000 people bowing at once. Except that's that's a crazy like can you put yourself there can you imagine that scene these guys come to Nebuchadnezzar and they say hey hey king hey live forever you're you're the man king verse 10 and and, and king you made this decree didn't you that every man who hears the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trijon and and the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music, when they hear that, they should fall down and worship the golden image. And, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the, the fiery furnace. In verse 12, he says, well, there are certain Jews from whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, they pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, I'm not sure if it just, if 300,000 people, they're, you know, they're spread out. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar just couldn't see why he had to be told. But these guys bring it up and say, hey, 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 these guys, they, they, didn't, they didn't bow. They didn't bow. I want, you to imagine, I want you to imagine that moment. I want you to imagine the pressure, the, the natural pressure. I want you to get out of like, yeah, let's fight that cultural battle. And I want you to actually think about you in that moment. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Everybody, literally everybody there around them is bowing down. Other Jews are there. People who are supposed to believe like them, they're bowing down. Everybody else is, what are you thinking in that moment? I mean, God forgives, right? Right? God's a loving God, he forgives. I mean, surely he doesn't want me in the fiery furnace, right? I mean, that's, that can't be what God had for me. So, I mean, I mean, I could probably, like, worship God in my heart, but go ahead and bow down, right? Like, I could bow, but I'll be worshiping God. I'll be praying prayers to God. I, I'll go ahead and bow so I don't get killed, but no? Nobody else? You, 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 you haven't justified any sin in a similar dialogue in your own mind? Nobody else? Uh, I know God said not to, not to have sex before marriage, but, I mean, we love each other, right? We're married in our heart. It's not that big a deal, right? Or I've heard this too many times that it breaks my heart. People wanting out of their marriage, and they'll say to me, I know divorce is wrong, but I mean, God doesn't want us to be miserable, does he? And he'll forgive, won't he? Anybody else? Similar dialogues? You've heard it. You've played it out in your own mind. Don't think about somebody else. I want you to think about you and the way that you have justified sin in your own mind, in your own heart. Not that big a deal. I can bow. God will forgive me. Or 
you know, I can, I can sort of worship within. I don't, I don't have to. Surely God doesn't want me in the fiery furnace, right? If you've been told, come follow God, he'll make everything okay. He'll prosper you. You'll never have any troubles again. That's a flat out lie. You want to know how I know? Let's keep reading. So, what do you, you know, these are guys, they've honored God, right? They're not bowing down. They're, they're, you know, surely Nebuchadnezzar will appreciate, appreciate that about him, right? He, he knows them. They go way back to the time when their God, you know, rescued him and, and told him the dream. Like, you know, maybe he'll give him some credit, right? What's Nebuchadnezzar do? Verse 13, he says, in a furious rage. Listen, I don't know who has been the most scary person in your life that you did not want to make them mad. Right? Maybe this is your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's a boss you had, I don't know. But whoever the most, like the scariest person in your life that you did not want to anger, go ahead and roll that up times a bunch. This guy rules the world. He has no accountability. There's no human rights organization saying he can't throw somebody in the furnace. There's nobody saying, you can't do that, Neb. You're losing your mind. No, 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 because they'll lose their head. This guy is unbridled in his power. And what does he do? He's angry. He's furious in rage, it says, and he commands that they be brought to him. So they bring these men before the king. Now I want you to put yourself in their position. Now you're not just standing up while the rest of the crowd bows down. Now you're front and center before this, this King Nebuchadnezzar. This guy has a reputation. Nobody, like, nobody's pretending this is going to go well. Nobody thinks he was just kidding he can't, right? He can't command this and then not enforce it, right? You know that as a parent, right? You can't say things, right? You can't say this is the rule, but then when they break it, you don't enforce it, right? Because you don't get what you say, you get what you enforce, right? And so he can't not do it. So here they are. They're brought before Nebuchadnezzar. In 14, he says, Nebuchadnezzar answered them and says, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I set up. Now, he's angry, but it's interesting. He doesn't immediately throw them in the fire. I mean, I think we can draw out from the context that, that he actually kind of likes these guys. They've helped him out. They've been good officers. Like, he doesn't want to kill them. He's put himself in a really, really bad position because he doesn't want to kill these guys. Right? So what does he say? He says, hey, I've been told this. I is this true, guys? <laughs> He says, verse 15, he says, now, if you're ready, maybe you didn't understand before. Maybe you were confused about the instructions before. Or maybe you didn't hear the giant band. So I'm going to give you another shot, guys. When the music plays this time, he said, and all, again, the band is listed off. It's, it's really curious. The repetition in Hebrew, that is significant. That's for us to take note. He says, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music. I thought the Scots invented bagpipes, but I guess not. Maybe they're there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but every, when, when you hear that to fall down, it, it, when you hear that, you fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. He says, okay. So, guys, I don't know what you're doing. I'll give you another shot. We're going to play this encore from the band. You bow, all good, forget about it. But if you do not worship, he says, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You hear that language? You hear that from him? You hear how he's responding when somebody's threatening this image that he's put up? 
not just the physical image, but this, this actual like image of himself, of, of power. And you hear how he's responding when somebody's defying that? I, wanna, I want you to, real quick, it's not the point of the sermon, I want to ask, what leads you into a rage? What leads you into a rage? Because the answer to that question will likely lead you to your idol. Because it is the thing that you love the most, the thing that you want to be true, the thing that you have worked so hard to get everybody to believe. When it is threatened, when it is questioned, when it is downright denied, that is when that can get to, to our gut level anger, our gut level response, and our gut level emotion. He's angry. He says, all right, here's another chance, guys. If you choose not to, I know you worship another God. We've talked about it. I added him to my list, you know. Nebuchadnezzar's a polytheist. He said, yeah, yeah, we're good. He's on the list of gods that we tolerate worship from, but that's all within the, the make sure that you actually are worshiping me. We see this in other countries still today. We see this in, in, in China where it, it's, it, you know, they can worship, they can have freedom of religion, but it still has to be subservient to the government, right? It has to be subservient to what they say is approved. Only certain churches that China says, you know, can exist those churches can, you know, have freedom to worship. But if you're trying to do, and we see this in other, we've seen this in, in, in lots of dictatorial rules uh, in different countries and different moments of history where this is commanded. And even Caesar, it's like, okay, yeah, you guys can have your freedom, but you still need to make sure that, you know, bottom line, I'm the boss. Bottom line, I have authority. As long as you got that, I don't care what you do on Sundays. I don't care what you do in your church service. So Nebuchadnezzar is kind of saying, hey, I know you guys worship this other God. I'm okay with that, but he better bow to me just like everybody else better bow to me. So here's your chance. These guys, this response is awesome. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer the king. He says, hey, uh, we, we got no need to answer you here. Like, don't even, don't hold the band. Don't worry about it. There's no need. We're not like, don't waste your time. He says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, there's no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, that's what you're going to do, he says. That's what you've got to do. And our God, whom we serve. Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar said, who's this God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? They said, listen, this is how it's going to go down. Our God that we serve, you'll find out. Because he will, he, he is able, he says, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. What in the world? No, he's not, right? Like all of logic says, no, he's not. Like, bro, you can worship, you can, you can be a Christian, but you get in the flames and you're going to die, right? Like that's just logic. But the faith of these young men, they say, no, like our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He already told you 20 years ago, any power you got, he's allowed it to have. And so our God will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man. Man, church. Listen, there is an endless tension us as we serve our God, as we ask for him to heal, as we ask for him to rescue, as we ask for him to deliver. There are times when he just he doesn't do what we think he should do, right? Or is that just me? There are times whenever we say, God, how could you not? Or God, would you please? 
And, and there's times whenever the answer is no. And these young men give us this response where they say, our Lord is able. He's able. But even if he doesn't, we'll worship. Man. Church, that is where we have to live. That is what we have to know in our heart of hearts and beyond anything else, that our God will deliver us either from death or through death. Our God will deliver us either from the fire or through the fire. He does not promise prosperity and, and, and a rosy walk toward your eternity. He says, come follow me and expect some trouble. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations, but take heart. I've overcome the world, and whatever they throw at you here, it cannot it cannot take you out of my hands. Jesus says in Matthew 10, I don't know, 28, you got that for me, Jess? It says, that don't fear those who can kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is Jesus talking, saying, listen, don't, don't fear somebody that can only take your physical life. Instead, you better be worried about the person you're going to meet after your physical life is taken because it was appointed a man wants to die, and after this comes the judgment. So that may be scary. Death is scary. Our bodies do matter, but what matters more is we're going to stand before God in judgment. And you need to go ahead and roll your fear up to that next level if you're going to survive this level. If you're going to be faithful in this moment, you need to roll your fear up to the rightful king, the king of kings. These guys say, man, he can. If that's what he wants to do, he can do it. But even if he doesn't, we're going to worship we're not bowing down. We're not going to compromise. We'll be delivered out of your hand because you can take our bodies. You can take our life, but you cannot take our soul. You can't take what's true about us. The, 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 the true thing about being human is that we are eternal. Like we, we have eternity with us. We will live forever in eternity somewhere. And you can't, no man, no king, no amount of power or persecution could take that from us. And these guys show us that these are still relatively young men. These are men who were taken out of their homes at, you know, somewhere between like 12 and 17. And yet here they are living faithfully. A quick question is, where's Daniel? Right? You ever wondered that? Where's Daniel in this deal? Right? Honestly, I don't have any big finish for you. We don't know. Like, <laughs> They still know. Uh, there's speculation, you know, that, that you know, Daniel was sort of, uh, Daniel was uh, promoted even above them. He was chief over the, the, the affairs at Babylon. And so perhaps he stayed back in the city um, or perhaps he was sent out on some other state affairs, you know, for the kingdom. Uh, perhaps he's called in sick. We don't know, but he's not there. But here's what's incredible is his influence is. I heard one pastor say, as I was listening to some sermons on this, is the true test of leadership is what your followers do whenever the leader's absent. Listen, young people, you can have an influence over the world. You are not a victim. You do not have to serve the world's agenda. You do not have to get their approval and worry about whether they like you and whether or not you are cool. You don't have to bow to their gods just so you won't be made fun of or rejected. Instead, you can stand in faith and say, I don't care what y'all do. All you can do is call, you, sticks and stones may make my bones, right? Like, you can't take my soul. You can make fun of me. You can call me names. You can, you can beat me up. Daniel is the leader. He's listed first. He's, the, he's kind of the, the chief of these disciples. And when he's not there, these guys still are like, nope, we're in. Not bowing. Not bowing. Do what you got to do, king. 
Don't even play it again. Do what you got to do. Right? It's an incredible statement of faith that our God is able, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Even if he doesn't, we will worship. You need to know that. You need to, believe, you need to have that in you as deep as you can get it. You need to sing it. You need to pray it. You need to write it, read it, believe it as deep as you can, that our God is indeed able to cure the cancer. He's able to heal the relationship. He's able to get rid of the addiction. He's able to heal the wounds from your past. He's able. He is. And he's good. And if he doesn't, it must be because he has a better plan in mind. It must be because he sees something that we don't see, and he's about to do something that we could never dream. Let's keep reading. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? 19, he says, now he's filled with fury, and the expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it shifts from a furious rage to, I don't even know where you level up to there, but the expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it's usually heated. Here's the deal. Uh, I think I got some pictures of what they think the furnace might have looked like. Because you might be like, why do they have a furnace? Like, you just roll that around with him to kill people? Or like, you know, who, who does that? There seems like easier ways to punish people, right? Well, he just built a 90-foot sta statue of gold. He had to melt the gold down, right? There's been a, there's been a years-long construction project building this gold. They're building this golden statue. They had, to, they had to melt the gold down somehow. Well, and we don't know, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but it probably looked something like one of these kilns, right? Where they, they would put the material in, they would heat it up, and, and oh, you know, the research that I read is that it, fire has to get to around 2,000 degrees to melt gold. I don't have a lot of context. I don't like ever take the temperature of my fires. Seems like a bad idea, but uh, from what I read, like wood fires, like, few hundred degrees, okay? The fire you made in your fireplace or, you know, out in your fire pit, a few hundred degrees at best. 2,000 degrees is what it takes to melt gold. So that's how they roll with this thing. He goes, turn it up seven times hotter. And everybody's like, uh, I, don't, I don't, why? Like dead is dead. It's going to kill him. Like I don't, it seems excessive. But like, so they're just like throwing more wood in. They're throwing, they're, they're cranking up the heat seven times hotter than it, than it was before. <clears throat> And he ordered some of the mighty men. And so these are like, these are like the, uh, the no-neck macho dude. Like these are the muscled up gym rats, right? Yeah, I'll take them. Like just want to fight about everything. You ever run across those guys? Like, yeah, I'll fight. Ugh. You know, just like, this is what they do. Like chest out, picking a fight. These guys, he's like, all right, y'all put them in there, right? You, you guys put them in the furnace. 21, these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics. I want you to count with me how many times you hear the word bound. 21, these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics or their coats, their hats, their other garments. It's curious why they, they leave them dressed, but it, the king was in a hurry. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, right, because he was in such a rage and do it now and do it like, because it was so urgent, the furnace overheated and the flame of the fire killed those meatheads that were throwing them in, All right? The tough dudes that were throwing them into the fire get killed just because the fire's so hot, the flames jump out, and they can't even throw these other guys in without dying. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound, so that's at least two, right, into the burning, fiery furnace. So listen, whoa, 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 God. I thought you wanted... Thought you had good plans for me. 
to prosper me, not to harm me. I, I, I didn't see it going this way when I stayed standing, right? I mean, just put yourself in these stories for real. Being a Christian doesn't mean things are always going to go well for you. That indeed God might choose to glorify himself through your suffering. So we need to know that our God is able. He's worthy of our worship, but he has an agenda and a will and a plan that is well beyond ours. He is not our puppet. We will not be caught manipulating God, convincing him to do something outside of his will. Doesn't mean we don't pray. That's sort of another sermon. But you just need to know that he has an agenda, he has a will, and he is sovereign. So they don't bow. Should get rewarded for that, right? Yeah, there's the reward. They're tossed into this furnace, bound up. I don't know if it's better or worse, right? If I want to be like loose so I can run around. and I don't, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know what, I don't, I don't want to be in a fire. But they're bound up, tossed into the fire. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he, he rose up in haste. Oh, he's, he's looking, I guess in some way he could see into that door of some sort and, and he rises up and he goes, hey, wait, 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 wait. Didn't we throw three men into the fire? This is verse 24. Uh, and I, I just gotta imagine like, the, the, like his lackeys are like, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think like, it was three, right? Like somebody checked the clipboard. Yeah, it was three. Like, I don't, I, I, yes, King, you're right. True. 25, he's like, but I see four men. Church, he sees four men, and four men how? Unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Close, Neb, close. It's the son of the living God. Listen, church, you don't know why he's taking you into your fire. You don't know why he's taking you into your suffering. You don't know what he's doing or when he's going to rescue you or if he will rescue you from this fire or rather through the fire. We don't know. But we can trust that he'll be there. We can trust that he is never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. And he was there already. He was already with these guys. But when do they see him? When does he show up and make himself visible? In the midst of that fire. midst of that fire. Peter, who I think drew a lot from Daniel as he was writing his two epistles in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is him writing to church, New Testament church believers. Peter says, hey, hey, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the trial comes upon you. The fiery trial, no less, as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. What's he talking about? Jesus himself had told Peter, hey, they're going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. They're going to kill you. But rejoice because they hated me and they killed me first. So he says, church, hey, don't be surprised when you suffer. Instead, rejoice because you're suffering with Christ. Like, th this is not a message that sells popular books. Follow Jesus into the fire, right? Like, that's not 
a pitch that anybody's buying. And nonetheless, it is the gospel truth. It is what he has called us to. He says to come and die, to give up our life and follow him. And we will not ever regret it. He says our return on whatever we give up will be given back a hundredfold. Like we cannot compare what we lose in this life to what we will gain in eternity for following our Jesus. And part of sharing in his sufferings is, is increasing his glory. And Peter says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, then you're blessed, he says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The way that God brings glory to himself is through these, these sufferings moments. And, and he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So he says, listen, hey, hey, uh, don't just claim this whole suffering deal whenever you brought it on yourself for being an imbecile. Right? Don't, don't, get, don't think you get to do whatever you want, say whatever you want, tear down anybody you want, and then claim persecution in Jesus' name for your nonsense. That's my paraphrase, but I think it's there. Okay? Read it again for yourself. But he says, don't, don't suffer for being a thief or murderer or evildoer. Right? The, the response to the spirit of Babylon needs to be the spirit of God. Our response to the spirit of Babylon needs to be the fruit of the spirit of God, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, holiness, like that, that, that fruit. That needs to be, and that's what we see from these men. They don't rise up. They're not, they're not trying to fight. They're not trying to rally the troops against the evil Nebuchadnezzar. They just go, yeah, you got to do what you got to do, king. And our God's got to do what he's got to do, and we're going to worship him, right? Peter says, so don't suffer as a, you know, a, don't suffer for your nonsense, but if someone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, Right? You suffer for actually following Jesus? Don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous, if righteous, is, scarce, if, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. Church, that is us today. You've got to be prepared to suffer. You've got to know that God may indeed lead us into the fire. But we've got to make sure that when we get put in the fire, it's because we're following Jesus and not because we're picking some other fight of politics or policy or something that doesn't need to be a hill that we die on. We need to make sure that we're doing it because we're humbly, faithfully following Jesus. I'm not saying those things are exclusive, okay? There are some things that have political implications that will indeed bring into question whether we're gonna follow Jesus or follow the government, right? That, that those things are going to happen. We just need to make sure that we're dying on the hills that Jesus called us to die on, not our own, right? Like we said it in a previous sermon, like we, we are called to be good citizens up until we can no longer be a good Christian. Okay, so we seek the welfare of our country, of our city, of our state. We love one another. We seek the good of the, of the civil place that we live. Yes and amen. Up to the point that we cannot be a good Christian. And at that point, we have to draw a line and say, here I stand. Not going there. I don't know what it's going to look like. We got to say this or acknowledge that or 
It's getting messy. But here's the deal. Jesus is still on the throne. He calls us to exercise the Rad Shack and Benny option. That's the vet. If y'all haven't seen VeggieTales, that's what they rename them to. Somebody thought I was mispronouncing Shadrach when I said Rad Shack. I'm like, I think it's Shadrach. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't clear. We need, to, we need to be ready to exercise the Shadrach and Benny option. You're like, I don't have to pick a fight. I don't, I don't like, but you got to do what you got to do. Peter and John later in Acts 4, they say, hey, listen, y'all, you got to decide whether it's right for us to obey God and, or, or man, and, and you got to do what you got to do, but we're going to obey God. So Nebuchadnezzar looks up and says, why are there four men in there? And why are they walking? I bound them. Didn't you bind them? Why those meatheads didn't bind them? Like, like he's freaking out. Why aren't they bound? Why are there four? And why does the fourth look like the son of the gods? Why? Because our Jesus has promised to never forsake his people, that he will be with them in the fire. I think these young men probably heard their King Josiah when they were kids, perhaps teaching them from Isaiah, saying that very thing that our God has promised us that when we go through the fire, we will not be harmed. That though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not experience the evil. It will not overcome us. They've, they've heard this. They, they know this. And they have chosen to put all of their faith, even their bodies, into that belief. And that's what they do. There's four of them, and they're unbound. What? we got to keep going. Uh, 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the burning fiery furnace door and he declared, hey, guys, get out here. Servants of the Most High God. He's like, all right, I know a question who your God was and how he was going to save you. My bad, get out here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors. You remember those from the first part of the chapter? You remember all the people that Nebuchadnezzar called together to see his glory on display? You remember them? All those guys gathered together and saw that the fire had no power over the bodies of those men. Listen, what that joker meant for evil, what Nebuchadnezzar meant to flex his own muscle and to show everybody they better bow down to him, God says, watch this. All these people you brought together to try to recreate Babylon, to try to recreate a global unity where everybody's gathered around this one religion and this one throne and everybody's given allegiance to it. Watch this. All those people you gathered, now they see God show up. They see these men get thrown into a fire that melts gold times seven and they come out and not only are they still alive, like they're not, like not only are they still alive, but listen to this. It says, that the hair of their heads was not even singed. And you hairy people try to start fires and just like singe your hair, your hair on your hands and stuff. Right? The hair on their hands, or like the hair on their body's not even, they're not smoking, they're not smoldering, like not even singed. Their cloaks are not harmed, right? Their coats aren't burned up. And, and, and listen to this. My wife would be fascinated with this. No smell of fire came upon them. You ever go sit by a campfire and like, what? Here's full disclosure. Elder meetings, we usually have a fire and we may or may not have cigars. When I come home from those, my wife says, shower. <laughs> Do not get in the bed like that. You stink, right? So you know what that's like to sit by a fire. You know how your clothes are going to smell like that the next day, right? <laughs> they note that. They, these, these guys don't even smell like fire, 
right? Like, like it's so, and listen, some people go, how could these stories be real? This must just be parable. This must be made up. And I get that. These are crazy stories to believe. I would just say quickly, go back to the resurrection. Start there. If you believe the, if you, if you have to question whether or not the Bible's true, start at the resurrection. And you have to do something. As we said last week, you have to do something with the resurrection. Have to do something with the historical, factual evidence of, of the resurrection. When you do that, you will then have to believe in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, he says, this is my word. This stuff happened. It's crazy. It's crazy that they could go in that furnace and come out without anything singed. But it happened. Praise God, it happened. This is our God. If we believe he can bring Jesus back from the grave, why can't he? I don't know if it's like force field or bubble. I don't know what he did. I don't know how he saved him from the fire, but somehow they come out of the fire, they're not even burnt. It's incredible. Our God is incredible. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered them and says, blessed be the God of these guys and who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship God any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. This guy's all about decrees. He's like, all right, new rule. That God, don't talk bad about him. He's the boss. Like, he says, anybody that speaks ill of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. He's done with the fire thing. He's going to go back to quartering people. We don't know. But their houses, and then their houses will be laid in ruins, but there's no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It says the angel of the Lord. Um, there's debate whether it's an angel or whether it's Jesus. So in the Old Testament, it's a theological term called theophany. Kids, there's no kid. kids, say theophany. Just got like seven of them in here, but you got it. You did good. So that's just, that, that's a, a, a label for when God shows up and reveals himself, right? So in the Old Testament, we see that there's, there's angels of the Lord, right? We only get a couple names, Gabriel and, and Michael, but there's angels of the Lord that come and do messenger, and then there's the angel of the Lord. When it says the angel of the Lord, we believe that is indeed Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up. When Jacob is wrestling with God, we believe he's wrestling with the pre-incarnate Jesus. And over and over again, we see God showing up in this way. So this is Jesus in the fire with his people. This is Jesus. Like, can you imagine the questions they had and the, and the faith that they were struggling with? Like, can you imagine your heart pounding in those moments of, is he really going to show up? Have we made the wrong decisions? This fire is going to hurt. And yet, they trust. They trust. And then, in the midst of their fire, their savior, their Jesus, their king is revealed. He's there with them. And the only thing that the fire burns up is what? Those Babylonian ropes. Those Babylonian ropes that they used to bind these guys to make sure they would be dead, that's what gets burned up. That's what gets consumed. Here's the deal, church. Nebuchadnezzar, the spirit of Babylon, he's just counterfeiting. There is a God, and he is a king. And every knee will bow to him, period. Every knee will bow to our God. And those that don't do it in this lifetime will spend eternity in hell. Satan's not creative. He's not coming up with anything new. He's just spinning off what God has already done and trying to make it his own. And he takes what is good and right 
for God and the judgment of the world for our sins. And he spins it. You see that spirit played out. I didn't even get to talk about how that's the same spirit that lived in Hitler when he literally threw the Jews in the flames. We're not getting better as people. Right? Same spirit keeps playing out. We, unless we get new hearts, we ain't getting better as people. And unless Jesus redeems, we're not getting better as people. It's a, it's a decline. Devolution. And that king one day will come back and every knee will bow. And in that moment, he will send what Peter will call a, a refiner's fire. He will send a fire over the earth. And some people mistakenly have led that to believe that the whole earth's going to be consumed and we're going to go to heaven in our spiritual, you know, cupid-looking diaper bodies and live with Jesus forever. Not true. That fire is going to be a fire that burns and consumes everything that is of the spirit of Babylon. What do I mean by that? Everything that is not of God's kingdom, everything that is of our sin, everything that is of the spirit of Babylon, everything that has bound you up, everything that has kept you tied down and in chains and, and, and beaten up and in depression and in fear, every bit of it will be burned up. But guess what? You will live forever with your Jesus who has went in the fire on our behalf to save us. He will either deliver us from the fire or through the fire. They can only take our life. And if they do, Paul says, it's a good day. I'm going to Jesus. It's a good day. I'm going to be with Jesus. Let's pray. God, we need your help. We need faith to believe. We need hope. I know we're supposed to know it. I know we're supposed to believe it, but Father, we're weak children. Just come and be kind to us in this moment of worship, in this moment of response, Lord. Would you go ahead and burn some ropes? Here today, Lord, would you go ahead and set some people free? Would you go ahead and do some work, Lord? We're your people. We need you, Jesus. Some of us are in the midst of the fire. We're wondering when you're going to show up, what you've got in mind. Come, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.